So my name is Rebecca Sanborn Stone. I work with the Orton Family Foundation and help to organize this series of conferences called Community Matters. So you've all joined our Art for Engagement Project Peer Group Conference. Awesome. Thanks so much to everybody for joining and for being willing to experiment with us here. You may or may not know this is a new idea for us to follow up our main conference calls with a separate chance for a small group of people to come on the line and talk about what they're actually doing on the ground. And that's designed to give you all a chance to meet each other, make some valuable connections, we hope, um, get some actual advice and thoughts from others on how you can address some of the challenges you're dealing with on the ground and share some great ideas from the fantastic so let me give you just a few guidelines and pieces of info about how we're going to operate today, and then we're going to go ahead and dive in. So first of all, some of the boring logistics. Um, if you are in a place where you have any background noise or side conversations going on, it would be great if you could put yourself on mute when you're not talking. And you can press star six on the phone to do that, and then pound six to take yourself off at any time. So again, that's star six to go on mute, pound six to go off. Um, the next piece, as you just heard, call is being recorded today so that we can share a podcast with yeah, the line. So I'm, I just want to make sure. You know, there, there is a, a lot of noise, like someone's in a bus station or something and there's announcements. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't yeah, think it works. Thank you. We are hearing that. So if anyone is in a loud place, please do press star six on your phone because we are getting some background noise. Well, it seems to be gone now, maybe. Um, so as I was saying, the call is being recorded. Just be aware of that. You know, we want this to be an open and honest conversation among all of you, but this will be something that the public can listen into. Um, I also want to let you know today that as I'm moderating, I probably will put some of you on the spot and call on you if I think you have something to contribute to the conversation or if I know from your background and so that you have a certain question related but the rule always stands that you're free to pass. So I hope that won't make anyone uncomfortable. Um, please do feel free to say pass or just not jump in if you don't want to speak to a particular point. And the last request I'll make of all of you is to help us take some notes today. So if you are able to get into the Google Doc, note that you all can type in there. You can dump in links and ideas, pictures, whatever you want to share. So that's your space. Please do type notes as we're in the middle of the conversation. If something strikes you as a great point or something that would be useful to you, you hear a great quote, please go ahead and dump it in there. And this document will remain active and live after the call as well. So you can always go back and add links or notes to clarify any points, extra information you want to share with the group, etc. cetera. Um, it's only as valuable as what you make of it, so please do get in and, and help capture some great thoughts in there for folks. Um, so with that, we're going to jump in. We've got a pretty small group on the line today. I think only about seven people, which is actually kind of nice. It means you're all going to get a lot of airtime talking to each other and sharing what you're doing and getting some help. And so I think what I'm going to ask you all to do is just go around, and I'll call on folks just to keep this moving. I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself to the group. So say your name, where you're from, and that could be your town or an organization you're working with. And then I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your project and your community in just a few sentences, so we use a phrase a lot called headline it. You know, if you're going to capture something in just a headline as opposed to talking for about five minutes, what would that be? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and dive in and just pass to someone here, uh, probably in order of when people came on the line. So, Tony, I think you were one of the first on the line. Do you want to start us off today? 
Yeah, I've got to take you off mute and move away from the phone. My, I'm at home. My wife is cooking wonderful meatballs. Uh, can, you, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. You're going to make oh, gosh. It, it's terrible moving the uh, the sensory part in with uh, now the uh, cog, you know the intellectual part. But probably that's good for me because if people uh, looked at what I've um, ruminated uh, uh, on with regard to the document, um, I'm more of um, a work in progress with regard to the the arts, um, and uh, I, I think that would be a theme that that, that reflects uh, our region. We have some good bones from regard with regard to the built environment, and being a public health person, I think that will be uh, sort of our, our springboard to to doing things. But also, we have some great performing arts things. So maybe it's. Um, yeah, it's it's people and places and exciting things um, to to see here and uh, and savor, uh, and um, and and that would be uh, the culture of Southern Appalachia. But uh, we we need to link it to some really great quality of life uh, uh, outcomes because uh, when people drill down on us, uh, they may uh, may not want to. Um, other than come here and see how pretty it is and uh, and everything, they may not want to come here very long and do business because we're uh, kind of um, sickly um, with our uh, behaviors and the like. So I'll shut up now. Um, let me just probe you a little more, Tony. Is there a specific community arts project you have in the works or you're thinking about, or are you just thinking more generally? At this well, there, the, really the, the, the tri-cities uh, with the three major uh, cities of the metros are, are really almost like competition, like Friday night football, uh, and they, they do a great uh, a great job. Whoever's got the, uh, the the biggest checkbook can probably do the do the most. Kingsport, for example, has a well funded uh, public art program already, and I think Johnson City, where I'm based, is trying to replicate that. And um, Bristol, which is uh, both Kingsport, and, I mean uh, both states, uh, Tennessee and Virginia, has been trying to revitalize its downtown and use public art. Uh, uh, for for um, for that, um, and that requires two governments to cooperate. So each of the three major tri cities uh, has its own uh, nuanced kind of um, efforts going on. Um, but also, you've got uh, smaller places um, that are successful. And, and I indicated in the uh, document that we take the lead. Uh, we try and take the best practices from places like Abingdon and uh, Asheville uh, and and follow. But also, um, you know, that there's things like storytelling that is really big in the Southern Appalachian tradition and, and build off of that. So, um, a lot of those elements come into, uh, play. And each of the, uh, cities is also trying to build off its heritage, whether it's the Big Bang of country music or whether it's, you know, um, revitalizing an old industrial, uh, older industrial city that still was built by a great designer or designed by a great designer or, the railroad uh, influence um, that that helped build Johnson City. So there's a lot of things related to the built environment and to our environment uh, writ large, and also to our cultural history. Like I say, with the uh, the music. Now we're starting to throw in the local food, and that's another thing that the two um, uh, sort of uh, A's, Ash- Abingdon, Nashville, have really led us. Uh, Successfully, they both have sustainable agriculture programs, and there's really a lot of of correlation and combination in the creative class thinking about uh, cuisine and arts 
and those fit a lot into the placemaking efforts. Sounds great. Lots going on. All right, let's keep going down the list. Let's see if we can just get some quick intros from folks so we know who's on the line, and then we'll get into some of the media issues you all want to discuss. So I'm going to pass it to Tammy next, who I think joined us on the line next. Tammy, could you give us a quick intro as to who you are, what community we're talking about here, and what your project is? Okay, I'm Tammy Zamliska. Um, I guess I'm kind of wearing two hats, a statewide hat, where I work with the Montana Arts Council on a program that we call Artipreneurship, which is the um, teaching artists the business of art. Um, we've been doing this program for three years now, and we have ten coaches throughout our whole state, which anybody that knows Montana, we could probably take most of the eastern seaboard and fill it into our state. So we cover a large geographical area. And um, we go through a 10-month course with them and teach them how to to market themselves but also be a, a viable, sustainable business. And then take them beyond that, you know, to reaching out to outside markets. Um, I'm, I actually live in southeastern Montana in a, a very rural community, and we have um, a large, large visual artist community here with a very depressed Main Street. And so we're looking at ways that we can um, revitalize Main Street using the products that our local artists um, can produce. So it's it's kind of a twofold thing, how to help the local economy plus working statewide with other um other coaches across the state in different areas. Great. Thank you, Tammy. Uh, let's toss it to you, Andrew, next. If you're on mute and trying to come off, Andrew, you should be able to hit pound six on your phone. Okay. How's that? Much better, thanks. Okay, good. Thanks. Sorry for the interruption there. Um, I am, uh, I, uh, until November of 2010, I had been the planning director for the city of Trenton in New Jersey for um, about 24 years. And um, since retiring from that position, I've been working uh, for a local nonprofit called CityWorks, specifically in uh, about a 40-block area of Trenton, which is one of the poorer areas of Trenton, and uh, uh, for those of you that uh, have been able to go to the Google Docs and can sort of look what I wrote up there, um, it's sort of the beauty of the enjoyment that I have with this position is I'm kind of on the other side of the fence where I was the prototypical bureaucrat in the past, putting together rules, regulations, coming up with ideas and programs. I'm now able to implement actually a number of the things that we were trying to do at the city level. Um, and one of the things that I recognize, particularly in this section of the city where there had been significant disinvestment, and you know, I hear it in some of the other descriptions of downtrodden neighborhoods, is really just a sense that there of, of hopelessness, particularly among our younger um, children and teenagers. 
And I have always been a proponent of art as sort of being a resource for the kids to, to express themselves, their feelings, to, you know, when you look at graffiti and everything else, it's, in some, some instances, it's a way of sort of expressing themselves. But in, in this case, it's, you know, with the guidance and oversight of of college students that have been trained in the arts, uh, art instructors. We also have a, a grounds for sculpture by the Sue Johnson group that uh, we've been able to partner with. It introduces the the children and, other, and even some of the other residents as to how we can utilize the arts as in, in many beneficial ways and really taking what I'd like to say is take the arts to the streets. I mean, so often in the past you'd see of programs where we would get uh, kids on a bus and, you know, Trenton is about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia and about an hour and 15 into New York City, and they get in a bus and go to a museum. Here, uh, you know, the more tangible things, there's something that they, you know, those trips are, are great and very informative, but here's an opportunity to really put their mark out on the street and in a very positive and coordinated way. And so what I have a what we are doing is focusing on one particular street where at one end is the Wilson Elementary School and at the other end is the library which has been closed but they are talking about opening it up again. And I would really like to you know, we have a series of vacant buildings or buildings where the first floor is occupied but the upper floor is not, is really come up with a design theme so that it's really an art corridor and that it is something that um, not only, as I said, gives the kids an opportunity to sort of express themselves in creative ways, but then really becomes a destination point and something that they can take pride in. So that's what we are hoping to be able to do there. Great. Thanks for that introduction, Andrew. Let's keep going down the list. I think we have a few more people to hit, and then we'll dig into some of the questions. So is Megan still with us on the line? Yep, here I am. My name is Megan Wilden. I'm the Director of Cultural Development for the city of Pittsfield. It's a small post-industrial city of 45,000 people in the Berkshires of western Massachusetts. And in my position, I I support, promote, and initiate cultural activities um, almost everything we do is community-based. We've done four community book projects that involved a wide variety of programming and involvement um, with the local population. Um, this summer, we're doing a project called Call Me Melville, um, because Herman Melville lived in Pittsfield and actually wrote Moby Dick here. And next year, we're looking at organizing um, a large summer initiative that puts um, together the arts and our manufacturing um, sector um, to be called art, arts and industry and putting artists in industrial residencies inside factories and, and other um, businesses. Wonderful. Thanks. My short form. That's great. Thanks for keeping it short. Okay. I think we had one other person join us afterwards. Is there someone else on the line with us? If you're on mute, you can come up. Yep. Go ahead. Dean, Dean Miller with the town of Pontius Springs. Welcome, Dee. Uh, so you probably caught on. We're just doing some quick introductions. I've asked everyone to go around and just tell the group who you are, where your community is, or a little bit about your community, and a little bit about the project you're working with. 
Okay, um, we are in Colorado at the top of the Rocky Mountains, and we're a small town near Salida, Colorado, so we're four miles outside Salida, which is a very large arts town. And the town of Pancha Springs back in 1881 and 82 had two major fires and burned to the ground, losing all but five of their historic buildings. So they really never came back economically. They're, they don't have a downtown, and they really don't have, they have a lumber company that does retail sales, and that's about it. As far as retail sales, we have um, a few ethnic restaurants, an Italian one and two Thai restaurants, and we just lost a uh, Mexican food restaurant to the next town. So we're basically a bedroom community of 735 people. And and those are temperate, like um, part-time people because they come up here in the summer and then they go back to other places in the winter. And what we're trying to do for, is build an economic base for the town because we have very minimal tax base. And with the restaurant moving to the next town, that was a large part of our tax base. So we're looking at all of our options. Um, last year we did a community garden just to get people involved. And that's a lot of it is really building the community and getting them involved in the community. We have a small group that wants to do agritourism. We just started a business development group meeting to get those businesses to work together to market each other and and trying to get all of them to participate and work toward downtown revitalization. And, and part of it is really just determining where will the downtown be. We're intersected by two major highways, Highway 285 and 50, cross through the town, so we're called the Crossroads of the Rockies. And we've been working with um, the Colorado Department of Transportation, or CDOT, to get our highways reduced down so that there it can be a walkable community because the community is separated by these highways and also by the river that runs through it. And the river is small. It's not large enough to boat on, but they can fish on it. So... They really don't have an attraction. They don't have a downtown, and we're really working on those areas. And and part of it was we were looking at, you know, is it possible to be part of the arts community that the neighboring city has, or do we need to focus on other things? So we're working on our land use code development. We're going to update that um, so that we can have change the setback so that the new buildings coming in will be able to be closer to the highway and look more like a downtown, things like that. So that's about it. Great. Thank you, Dee. All right. Uh, those are fabulous introductions. I see so many common threads that you're all struggling with and a lot of differences between your communities, too. So we've got quite a bit of time now that we can really dig in. And since we do have such a small group, I think it's a great opportunity to just open it up and see what talk to you all about what you're hearing or what questions you want to throw out to the group and get some feedback on. So let me just open it up to all of you. Does someone have a question they want to throw out or a challenge they'd like the group to work through or something you heard that really resonated with you? Don't all speak at once. 
I know a lot of you do have specific challenges that you're hoping to get some feedback on, so this is a great opportunity to throw that out. Okay. Well, um, I would like information on gaining that community participation and how to get them to participate and, and work on downtown revitalization. So do you have a specific project already designed you that you're trying to get people to engage with, or are you even further back trying to design a project? Well, you know, what I was trying to do was, um, I, like I said, was setting up the business development groups, and we just worked on developing an arts group, and, and we had the community garden group, and really trying to find out where their interest levels are with the, by, you know, hitting them at their interest level. So by setting up the community garden, we had like 24 people come out and volunteer that we had never seen before. So it's a small community, but none of them knew each other. So really, you know, those are just avenues to get these people out of their homes because it's cold and it's very windy up here. So they all kind of retreat to their houses after work. And they all work, and a lot of them work at the local ski resort. So they have long hours, and then by the time they get home, they're done. So really, we're just trying to figure out how to get them interested in creating a downtown, what that downtown should look like, how to involve them. Anybody have ideas for D at this point? This is Tammy in Montana. Have you guys did any, um, like, community visioning as to what the community members are seeing their community being? We just kind of, we did a survey with our comprehensive plan update, and that was part of that. They want it to be the small town feel. They say they want the dirt roads, but they really don't want the dirt roads. Um, when you talk to them about what we're, you know, about downtown, they're like, well, we don't have a downtown. And they're, that's just the way, and they really don't have vision at this point. So we've been kind of slowly walking them into that. What could a downtown look like? So I've been bringing in people to talk about that. I had the Department of Local Affairs come out and talk to them. I've had people come talk to them about permaculture and agritourism and um, I had someone else come talk to them um, about smart growth, just things like that, trying to get them to see what downtowns could look like, but they really can't even comprehend having a downtown. Are most of the people that live there, are they have they been long-time residents there, or do you have a, a new population coming in or yeah historically they've been long-time residents and we're surrounded by a ranching community so we have a lot of ranchers that have moved into the smaller towns as they grow older and their kids are ranching or they sell their ranch something like that and now we have a new um, subdivision where people from denver and things like that are moving up here even if they're just up here part-time so we also have that coming in, and and I would say, you know, it's probably like 30, 70 mix of the new people coming in, 30 to 35% are the new people coming in. And they're younger, and for example, we just had three 
people that are about 28 to 30 years old, and they're starting Elevation Beer Company. So they're actually heading up our business development group at this point, trying to help people have a vision and set strategies and goals for those businesses downtown. I live in a, a – I work in one town, and I live in another real rural community, and that – that sounds a lot like what our community there is. Um, they can't they can't see any more than what they've already got, and and so what we're trying to do now is target the new people or the new younger people that have moved back or have chosen to move out there because of our school system and and to get away from the larger areas, and so we're really focusing. Um, on them and their enthusiasm, and not so much, not that we're dismissing the the long-time people there, but trying to show them through the, the energy that these newer people have that this can, we can have more here, and these younger people have chosen to live out here, and so trying to get that point across to the ones that say they still want the dirt streets, say they don't want any more than what they've got because they're comfortable with that. I think you have to kind of just for, not so much forget about them but not worry about their attitude and take the, the enthusiasm of the younger ones or the newer ones and build off of that. And then when the other ones can see that, that things are going to happen, they may come along, and that's that's what we're hoping anyway. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of where we're at too with um, the younger guys leading that business development group, and and also the community person. And they're starting, they're working towards a community grocery store, trying to make it a walkable community. And those are the people that are leading those groups. It strikes me, too, this is Rebecca, that there are some great arts approaches or kind of mixed approaches that could really help with inroads in different aspects of it. I'll just throw out a handful to get some ideas percolating, maybe. Um, one that I'll jot down is really a tactical urbanism kind of approach. Our last call was actually on that topic. I think Tammy was on the line for that one. Um, tactical urbanism is really kind of an up-and-coming field where people take very temporary, light, quick, and easy ways to show what stronger places could look like or more walkable places, um, more vibrant downtowns, et cetera. So it might mean, you know, going out and painting bike lanes or sidewalks onto the street using chalk paint, which will wash away, or sticking out benches and planters or doing some pop-up stores to show what it could look like if we actually had businesses here. And a reason okay, to people to so come. we've actually talked about the pop-up stores. How do you go about the pop-up stores? Yeah, we'll see if other people want to weigh in. There's one great project called the Better Block Project, which is a neat idea, and it might work well for your community. Um, and they chose to kind of hit all of those areas in one weekend. It started out on a block in a Texas community. So they got a bunch of volunteers, uh, talked to some landowners, brought in you know planters and benches and all kinds of things, and had a set of pop-up stores that came in just for that weekend to really show what it could be like. And then you don't have to deal with the infrastructure of trying to have a business there all the time. 
So how do you do the pop-up stores for one weekend? How does that work? You know, I think you would just identify what kind of stores you could do temporarily. Um, you might have some food vendors. You might have a craft vendor. Or, you know, identify what kind of store your downtown really needs and try to... So do you bring in trucks, though, or... I'm sorry? Do you bring in trucks or trailers or... I think it would depend on what you have there. You certainly could do it with trucks and trailers. You know, if it's a restaurant kind of thing, you could just bring in a couple of uh, folding tables and an umbrella and a food cart. Um, if you have vacant storefronts already, you can use those certainly and bring stores in, that kind of thing. Um, you know, on the flip side, Biddeford Maine did a great example this winter, actually. They are trying to revitalize their downtown and their Main Street, and they gave high school students the opportunity to create pop-up businesses in existing storefronts. And it was just for a couple-week period or a three-week period around the holidays. So the high school students had a little competition to see who had the best business plan idea. And whoever won would get the chance to stick it in the front window of one of the Main Street stores and they get some business mentoring from the existing stores. So it sounded like you don't have a lot of businesses there already. Buildings. But it's, or buildings, Okay. Um, so that might be a little bit tricky, but you might find a creative way to do that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and let me just throw out a couple other ideas more in the arts angle, especially since we're talking about that today. I think youth can be one of the best inroads when you're thinking about community arts. And I can think of a handful of communities who've had really great success using youth and the schools specifically to help envision what a downtown could look like or what a more vibrant public space could look like. Because there are a lot of towns that are dealing with your challenge of, of just not really having a town center there. Um, so there's one really great low-tech project that you might use. There's something called Box City, which is actually a, a national curriculum. You can go on and buy a kit online, or you can just make it up. It basically involves just letting kids make a downtown or make a space out of cardboard boxes. Give them a lot of cardboard and scissors and masking tape and let them construct what they would like to have there. Um, and you can do that just in a classroom as kind of a teaching exercise, or you could do it as an event where you ask the students to do it and then have them bring their parents and try to make it a broader conversation. Um, so that's been used all over the country quite successfully. And then there's a much more high-tech version. You may be familiar with Second Life, which is an online virtual reality program. And there's a, a community called Acton Math, among other places, which has used that really successfully. They brought what is that called? It's called Second Life. I'll put some links into the document as well for this. Um, but you can go in. You need somebody pretty tech-savvy to help do some of the development. They partnered with a local college department and a professor to help do this. The students basically created a 3D digital model of an intersection that they wanted to make into a really vibrant downtown space. And once they created that model, townspeople could go in and basically walk around, um, see the buildings, comment on them, have discussions, et cetera. So they engaged their youth, their high school students, to be what they called technology ambassadors, go around and teach older adults how to do that and how to envision it. And I think they paired it with an actual arts activity, too, where if people didn't want to participate in that digital aspect, they could make their own versions on little cardboard squares and show what they wanted for that space. And then the town demonstrated them all so people could really get a sense of what all the different visions were and what you could have there and then vote on what they wanted to see. So let me stop there and throw it out. Do other people have other ideas or 
comments on this stuff? Are you struggling with the same issues? I think the ideas all sound great. It's just coming up with the people to start and start implementing it all is the daunting task that it takes. I think that's true, and you always end up with the same few people doing everything because they're the only ones you can get to participate on a consistent basis or even once or twice. That's uh, This is Tony speaking. I, I think that's one of the um, things that, maybe we've tried to wrestle with in one of our communities and we've used an initiative called um, Move to Kingsport uh, because uh, we were a, a city with a, a potentially declining population because we, we're so old. I mean, outside of Florida and a few places in the industrial Midwest, um, we're one of the oldest metros uh, in the country. But but due to quality of life and low cost of living and things like that, I mean, Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax, people uh, are moving there. but they, And they become, you know, your latest converts to a lot of the, the efforts that uh, we could be talking about. So I just bring that up. Uh, many of these folks come from, uh, you know, just outstanding places. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, I do I do follow uh, Richard Florida pretty carefully, his Who's Your City book, where it's kind of a Maslow kind of a thing, and some of these things are really uh, where people will uh, kind of self-actualize uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the arts uh, F, because they're not really worried about their, uh, you know, essentials. Uh, these are folks that are going to be, uh, you know, sort of um, frosting on the cake with uh, what we're talking about. But while I'm on that point, I think that there is a great opportunity to link the uh, arts and uh, the initiatives that we're talking about to some of the uh, social uh, equity uh, issues. I think Bill Strickland, who I uh, linked in one of the posts, is a perfect uh, perfect example. And uh, hopefully people will uh, realize that... Uh, yeah, this is um, a, a, a great opportunity to, to link things to justice and equity. Hi, um, I, I, this is Andrew from Trance again. What I sort of putting on my previous hat as the planning director, you know, getting community engagement and participation, um, much of what has been said so far has a familiar sound to it. And what I have found, uh, regardless of the size and the location of the community, is uh, to the extent that um, you are able to, you know, when you're talking about the community visioning, that it's a process that is of a, a manageable size within a certain period of time and that there are, rather than, focusing on the home run or what we will eventually do, populating it with certain benchmarks along the way for those little singles to demonstrate not only to the folks that you've engaged initially, but who you were trying to attract afterwards that, hey, this group, it's it's really causing something to happen. So that even if it's in Pontius Springs, you don't have vacant buildings, whereas Trenton, we have 1,200 vacant buildings. Um, we are 
you know, what is it, another way in which, particularly that a day that you want to have an event, perhaps formulating around it a community garden activity where you have other stands so that it's almost like a mimicking a street fair that there's a reason why people will come here. And so for the old timers, uh, it may be, yeah, remember when this grocery store was here or this five and dime and maybe having a, you know, a merchant that sells those kind of wares or a craftsperson or, or something, you know, an antique person followed by a farmer who's selling some of his, um, you know, his produce, uh, you know, that's in season followed by, um, you know, uh, other people that's selling farming equipment or, or, you know, then a storytelling section so that you suddenly can say, hey, here's, this is what uh, an old city, whether it was a small city, was once like and what we could be like. So it's almost, again, creating that visualization by the people within the community. And that, I think, will foster a lot more positive belief in that what we aspire to do or, you know, the vision, whether we want to have dirt roads and suddenly hearing from others who are saying, yeah, well, you can have dirt roads, but really to, if we, you know, down the road or in the future, 5 to 10 or 15 years from now, we really have to sort of transition here to accommodate the future interests, yet without destroying our tradition or suddenly the old timers are saying, well, this community has changed and it doesn't accommodate my interests anymore. So that's that's sort of just a couple of immediate reactions I would have. Steve, does any of this resonate with you or seem like it might be... No, I think those have all been very good comments, and they're all relevant to where we're at right now. I really, um, what he said about, you know, the people that are here already and how they might feel after things start changing, that's probably exactly how they would feel. Though, you know, they come in and, and they want community to happen. One of the big things we have going on is, um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but up here we have Christos Over the River Project going in in the next three years, two or three years. They just received approval from the nearby county. And we're a main thoroughfare for a lot of traffic to get there, and they're expecting like 400 one-way trips to occur just for that event, 400,000 one-way trips to occur just for that event. And so then they're putting a U-turn, so a lot of those cars will be returning the same way, and either we get things put into place or we just receive all the impacts of the pollution, the people stopping to use the restroom, that kind of thing. So we're kind of working in that direction, trying to have a downtown in place or even whether maybe it's just a farmer's market or some an outdoor market the trouble with that is the wind we have big winds that come through here in fact in our comprehensive plan it says the wind that will rip the flesh off your bones <laughs> that's the kind of so tents are really not you know a good idea and, and even outdoor things yet we don't have the buildings so we're kind of, and then somebody just donated on the 
we have a T where Highway 50 T's into 285, and we have huge flyways that CDOT owns. And someone just donated to the town a almost seven-acre parcel that sits right on the corner of that. So part of their discussion is should that be where our main downtown is located. And again, it has no buildings, but it's it's a very nice lot. So they're kind of debating not you know not having the town develop that, but what could that be, or or should it be along the highway at all? And yet, there's really not any place off the highway other than that lot to put it. Sounds like a really interesting challenge, and um, <laughs> we've got something in place for Christos. Project, I mean, that's a great benchmark, really. It seems like it, yeah. to work towards it. So, that's fabulous. Let's also discuss now to a few other people. A lot of these issues are connecting. I'm sure we're hearing so much resonance. Does anyone else have something you're really struggling with or, or want to talk around with the group and get ideas? How do how have you guys dealt with absentee landlords when they're owning these buildings on Main Street and they're not there and they don't care that the building's falling in and Well, in the in the city of Trenton, uh, you would really rely upon your code enforcement officers, and if you were able to get the um, the ear and the interest of the mayor, uh, particularly if it was in your downtown, and the members of the whatever downtown association basically said, look at um, these uh, these eyesores are really a detraction to any efforts we're, we're putting forth to try to attract people into the downtown, and until they're really addressed, and here's, here, here are the ordinances on the book that empower us to send out the inspectors to say, either board up your buildings, clean up the trash around there, or, or what have you. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of the stick part of it. The carrot is um, sometimes even approaching the landlords and seeing if you can negotiate. It's like, hey, look, at, we understand that you're stuck with a white elephant here. Um, would you be willing to allow us and perhaps the you know the college students from a local art program to basically take take your you know the side of your building as a canvas and either display art or paint the windows or do something else that um, so that it, it even on an interim basis can we can we use the windows on the first floor and put art inside the windows so that it's a more visually pleasing stretch of the block to walk through and sometimes the sometimes they will be willing to do that you know as long as you give them letters of indemnification that um, you know and all that other stuff but it's that's the, generally the two of the approaches that we would try to to take although it's not easy but that, that's one thing that we've tried in the past that's a good idea Is anyone else dealing with that issue of absentee landowners or Main Street building owners who just are not engaged and interested in improving their property? 
we definitely have that problem. The few buildings that we do have, people are along the main street. People are living in as residents instead of using them for retail stores. And they just fall into disrepair. We have a building that they rent out, and it's actually being used as business, but their fence is literally falling over, and they don't care. <laughs> it just And there are weeds growing up, and it's just a mess. And that's just one of them, and another one is just uninhabitable at this point. It really just needs to be torn down and removed because it's unsafe. And and they just put a for sale sign for a huge price because this is a vacation area. So they want a lot of money for their property. And so they sit there for years because they're not worth what they're asking for them. It's a tough problem. Have you found any solutions or still really dealing with that challenge? Yeah, we really, that hasn't been a discussion at this point. But I like your idea about the um, once somebody said something about just doing one block at a time and having like a volunteer block party and getting permission from the landowner to go clean it up and paint it and make it look nice. Yeah, I'll throw a link in here to the Better Block Project, which is really a great example. They were certainly dealing with that issue, I think, of landowners who just weren't keeping their property up. And they found, I believe, that those landowners were pretty happy to have a team come in and essentially clean up their properties for a weekend. <laughs> and less of an eyesore, free labor, right? And if they were trying to sell, I think it, it made it a whole lot more appealing. Um, definitely some challenges in doing that, and that was discussed quite a bit on our last call again, so you may want to listen in if that's really an approach you're interested in. But I think Andrew's idea is a great one, too. San Francisco has done one of the more formal programs like that, I think. They called it Art in Storefronts, and I believe it's been replicated a few other places around the country, but they had a pretty rundown section of the city, lots of empty storefronts there, it was a pretty high-crime area. And they approached all the landowners, asked if they'd let them turn these vacant storefronts into art galleries for a temporary period of time. And folks were thrilled about it. They found that it reduced crime because all of a sudden you had a lot more foot traffic and people there to check it out. And the buildings that were still struggling to make it there ended up with a lot more people coming in, a lot more economic development. So I think it ended up being a real win-win for everyone. I think that's a great idea. We actually did that in another community I worked in, and only we didn't open the stores. We just, they had everything just like they were storing stuff in the buildings, and they were piling it up against the front window, which was the main street, and they let us go in and put window displays, but we didn't, but not actually open the building and have anything in there, so people would try and get in because it looked nice, (laughs) but they had no access to those products. That's great. Yeah, so you really nice do need to be able to open it up and, and have something for sale. Yeah. Andrew, how similar is that to the idea of the art quarter that you're working on? I, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question again? Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering how similar that is to the idea of the art quarter that you're working on. Um, it, it's, well, in... The, where the art corridor is, it's primarily residential. There's no um, businesses there, but there are an, uh, a number of vacant properties. Um, but one of the things that we are, you know, vacant residences, some of them are, are city-owned, and, you know, so that we would be 
um, getting out a ladder, going up, painting over the um, boarded up buildings, and then you know with a local uh, artist coming up with design schemes. You know, do you do in, in a whole different variety of ways with these different buildings? In addition to that, though, um, as I think someone had talked about, you know, we sort of take over the street for the day and you set out tables and chairs. We were going to coordinate with the streets department, so since it's located not on a heavily trafficked road, where we would be able to stripe out an area almost as though it was like a bump-up curb and put temporary planters there and extend the width of the sidewalk so people would be able to sit out there. And so you really just transform the street, uh, whether it's for a weekend or a particular day, and work, you know, populating with a lot of activities, maybe getting some music, so that you can't, just as, uh, you know, you're able to set it up quickly, you're able to dismantle it quickly, but it gives you really a snapshot vision of, of what it'd be like. So we were going to not only do the art, but also try to um, uh, put other positive activities going on there. There's a park mid-block where a lot of kids play basketball or the girls jump rope and, and so forth. So we would try to coordinate some of the activities there. So. This is uh, Megan in Pittsfield. I'm sorry I got bounced off and just rejoined. But um, talking about empty storefronts, I just wanted to um, tell folks about the Storefront Artist Project, uh, which started in our downtown. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I couldn't tell. Um, yeah, about ten years ago, and that was when our downtown had over two dozen empty storefronts. Some of them had been empty for decades, and the city had kind of hit bottom in, you know, in the way it tells about itself and in its downtown. And, and there had been a lot of top-down um, approaches um, that hadn't worked because they were top-down. Um, and anyway, an artist uh, moved back from New York City, and when she saw all these storefronts, you know, she saw a new space that could be used for studios. And the difference was that the Storefront Arts Project focused on temporary use of storefronts for active artist studios. So it wasn't a passive thing where you're looking at pictures on the wall. Like, there's a lot of programs that do the, you know, the art in the storefront windows thing. But this was literally making the street come alive because there are artists going in working, people could see them when they go in. They wouldn't necessarily have their door open all the time or be accessible to people walking by, but they would just be literally living signs of life. And that was really the spark that helped turn things around in our community um, because it brought people downtown. There would be occasional open studio days. Um, and then, lo and behold, the storefront started renting when they rented then the artists actually, they also really liked, you know, colonizing downtown. They enjoyed being around each other and in that downtown space, so then they would look for a permanent place to rent, and a lot of them moved upstairs because there were empty, there was a lot of upper store vacancy, you know, old, unimproved offices that nobody had been in for, again, decades probably. Um, and so they stayed, so it built an artist community downtown and 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 brought artists there um, permanently then it put, also put money into the um, hands of the building owners on the upper story so it was a, a win-win of course as we went along there were less and less storefronts um, for temporary studios and we knew 
all along that the project would evolve. Um, they ended up having a storefront gallery, and actually, after 10 years, they decided that you know they done they they were done with what they were doing, and they you know gracefully bowed out with a big party. So that's our story. That's a fabulous story. I, I've known about Pitchfield for years, but never knew that story about the revitalization. Yeah, well, that's really how it started, and and um, it really inspired the the mayor, uh, Mayor Roberto, who was responsible for much of the cultural revitalization and for actually creating my job that I now have. And he was really inspired by Sharpenar's project. He, and it, it, it clinched it for him that, yes, the arts can make a positive difference. They can help shift. They can, oh, I always thought of it as just opening the door just enough so that people can envision something different. Because 10 years ago, the door was shut on Pittsfield. Everyone said, Pittsfield sucks. Well, you know, it was considered the whole Madonna. Nobody liked it, whether they live there or not. And that's changed dramatically. We've had over, we have over 50 new restaurants, shops, and cultural hotspots downtown that have come along in the past eight years. Um, and we now have I think we just lost Megan again, unfortunately. Megan, are you still there? Oh, dear. She may have been disconnected. So if, Megan, you can still hear us, you might want to hang up and try to call in again. Um, we'll move on, but we would love to get back to your point if you come back on. Um, I love that phrase that Megan just left us with, actually opening the door just enough so that people can envision something different. It seems like that's what she's looking for. It sounds a lot like what Andrew's describing this great project to show what that stretch of street could look like as well. So we're moving on to the call. We do have time definitely for a couple other questions and challenges if there's anything else folks are struggling with or want to throw it to the group. Anyone else? We haven't heard a whole lot from Tony or Tammy. I'm wondering if either of you have questions you want to throw out there? Well, how about um, funding for those projects? Any great ideas? Ah, a great one to toss around there. Yeah. This seems to be something everybody's struggling with. Maybe we could even just go around and hear from folks about what funding sources you have found or any suggestions. This is Tony. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do you have ideas, Tony, or you're just saying, please give me ideas? Well, uh, it, it's, it seems like it varies so dramatically. Um, and one of my comments was um, the political will uh, just at times does not seem to be there, but 20 miles away it may be. And I'm a regional thinker. I mean, I think that this would enhance our regional economy so much, and I like to uh, port, you know, paint that picture um, and we've won awards for being a region, so what's not to have this is kind of in the, you know, everybody drinking this Kool-Aid, but apparently it doesn't work that way. Elected officials don't have the same constituencies that they're listening to. Definitely a challenge. Anybody have thoughts on this? How do you... Get folks to buy into this idea of working regionally or even just working locally. What's some approaches? Yeah, I um this is Andrew again from Trenton. Um 
I believe it or not, I've been fairly successful in um, tracking down money and uh, more, uh, you know, working through collaborative efforts. And uh, my approach has been really a, a holistic approach, what I call a holistic approach to redevelopment, where depending upon the area uh, there's the usual suspects if you've been at this game long enough you meet uh, who's the guy to speak to in transportation who's the guy to speak to in economic development or gal who's the person in housing who and at the at the different levels of government and by going to any of the events in the community or even at the regional level, what, who are the major foundations or businesses or corporations and do they have a social investment fund and do they have an, an arts program or you just, and then just kind of finding out, okay, what are the major foundations that are out there? What are the major institutions that um, all the colleges I know around here, there's a community service component and a lot of the kids really enjoy getting involved in hands-on stuff. We've got partnerships with uh, the College of New Jersey, which is two two towns over from us uh, through the... And, and I, we're working with AmeriCorps kids and Barnes Foundation. So those are excellent resources that um, are available if you can put together a good plan. Um, so uh, that would... That's sort of like one area that I would recommend. We've we we have been able to secure funding from um, the Bunbury Foundation, from you know some of the local area foundations, the, um, educational testing systems, and if if you do, I, I don't know uh, those of you uh, that have access to grant writers or or relationships with folks that kind of like know, okay, if it's February, these are the groups that sort of come up with stuff, and whether it's related to the arts or whether it's related to community engagement, whether it's involved with community planning, there there is stuff out there. Um, then the last, the last point that I would make is I know um, I, with the mayor, I'd worked for our local metropolitan planning organization. Uh, in this case, it was Delaware Valley Regional Planning Organization out of Philadelphia. And many of the MPOs are diversifying, although it's usually transportation-based. You, by working with whoever your representative is, whether it's from a county or a regional agency, Get to know that person and say, hey, look, at our town is very much interested in doing this infrastructure improvement. What funds might be available? Where are we within the regional plan? Um, you know, because you got to be able to speak up for yourself in that regard and just say, we would, we would like to find about what funding opportunities are out there. So, and and bit by bit, it, it does it does start to trickle down. So. This is some great suggestions, Andrew. Thanks. It's wonderful to hear from someone who's had good luck finding funding. Yeah, no, yeah. That's the. That's the. I, I mean, I, and I will just share one quick story just to show you how unusual things happen and how it can be based upon timing. <clears throat> some of you may know who our governor is. He's a very shy individual, Governor Christie, <laughs> and he's he's very very large. But anyways. I um, 
I one of the things I'm involved with is the New Jersey Partnership for Healthy Kids, and so there's we're, we're involved in the anti anti obesity initiative, and all, obviously that's very big with the Obama administration with their Let's Move campaign. And to his credit, he has recognized that you know New Jersey has, particularly among its school age children, has has the highest rates of obesity. You know we have. Uh, in the city of Trenton, kids aged between uh, five and nine, over 37% of them are severely obese. Um, and the the governor was saying, "Look, we have to do something to address this issue." And we were at another meeting at the State Department of Community Affairs, and we were talking about the things that we were doing. And the Department of Community Affairs basically said, "We're." We're, the governor wants us to find something. Do you, you guys are doing this? Do you have any ideas? And in a matter of two hours, we put together a proposal, kicked it over to them conceptually. They ran it by the governor's office, and he says, "This is great." So, and for two hours of time, it was literally twenty-five thousand dollars. And we're buying three salad bars for the school. We're buying some equipment to convert one of the um, a Habitat for Humanity building to be able to provide cooking classes for teenage uh, boys and girls. That that you know, so a lot of it is you know just being aware of it, positioning yourselves, and kind of you know keeping your ears open for those opportunities. Um, but you know, that, and, and that's so funny. It's like you'll. You'll spend weeks chasing, putting together an application, but then sometimes these circumstances just fall on your lap, too. Anyone else have success or challenges with funding or ideas where to look for funding on arts engagement projects? I can throw out a couple of other quick ones. Definitely not my main area of expertise in fundraising, but things I've heard through the grapevine. Um, the National Endowment for the Arts is a great place to start. It can be a little bit scary to get on the federal funding route, but if you have the right size project, they're a pretty good bet sometimes. They have a couple of specific grant programs. One is called Artworks, and another is called Our Town. And I believe you can get somewhere in the range of about ten to 40000 usually through those. They have a few different funding areas. They'll fund arts education. They'll fund actual on-the-ground programs, the place that Andrew's talking about, he's talking about, et cetera. Um, so there's some about engagement through the arts, et cetera. So, you know, from what I'm hearing of all of your projects on the line today, I think those could be good bets. If you go to the nea.gov website, you can read a little bit about their funding opportunities. Um, and then I think Andrew's making some great points about Positioning yourself and being aware of other links to things. There are some really hot issues out there right now that do have quite a bit of funding. Um, EPA and HUD have had a lot of funding through their Livable Communities Initiative, and I think they would jump on opportunities to see people making progress on that, on livable communities, walkable communities through the arts. So it doesn't always need to be um, a funder or someone who is directly in your field as long as you can tie it to what they're working on. I think the same thing goes with a lot of institutions. In my town, we have a strong community hospital that's actually one of the stronger funders. And what they're looking for is uh, initiatives tied to improving health in some way. Again, it might be walkability or it might be 
some kind of program attracting youth, getting them engaged in the community. Definitely could be through the arts again, though. So if you can tie it back to, you know, what those funders are looking for, I think there's a great shot. Um, I think Andrew mentioned local community foundations. That's one that we recommend a lot here in Orton as well. Some areas have strong community foundations and some don't, but certainly a good thing to, to have a conversation or do a web search, find out if they're there and if they could help. Um, and another one that's really interesting is the idea of crowdsourcing funding. That hasn't been used a whole lot in small community projects, but I'm hearing more and more about communities that are trying. So you may have heard of Kickstarter, which is a pretty popular one that's used mostly for more commercial activities, like someone who wants to put out a record or has a great idea for an invention and just needs some startup. So you can post your idea up there. Send it around to all your friends or anybody in town, and folks will chip in five bucks or ten bucks or a hundred bucks, and that slowly can get you the funding you need to get started. Um, if your project has an environmental bent at all, there's a great organization called IOBY, I-O-B-Y, stands for In Our Backyards. They've been doing the crowdsourcing project thing in New York City for a while, specifically on the environment again, but they're just going national this spring, and they actually have a matching funding program right now. So anything you raise through the spring, they'll match it for you. Um, so I'll, I'll put in a few of those links as well, but some other ideas. Can municipalities do the crowdfunding, or does it have to be a private entity? I think municipalities can. You know, there are a few different websites. They all may have their own restrictions up, but there are definitely some that municipalities are able to go through. I think Kickstarter is one of them. IOB would definitely be one if you do have any kind of environmental approach at all. I don't know if all of you are watching on the Google Doc as well, but Megan, unfortunately, is not able to get back on the line with us. It sounds like her phone is down, but she's busily typing in some comments for us. So um, she's got a great one here right now saying it's really important to gain people's trust. The best way to do that is something that works often on a shoestring. And once people experience that and see that artists and creative people are really adding value and adding joy, they're going to start coming around and presumably start coming up with some funds to help you. And I think that's a great point. It really gets back to this DIY thread that's been coming up in all of these projects. How can you go out and just try something, whether it's a pop-up store or painting by Glaine's on the street or something, um, getting artists to work in a storefront so that people can see there's a better way and there's a way to really turn the community around. So great thoughts here. Great. We are getting close to the time to wrap up. We definitely have time for another question. So anyone have other thoughts to throw in on this or one more question we want to toss out to the group? We certainly don't need to. We can wrap early if that's where the conversation ends. Um, the, the one the one comment that I would make uh, again on the funding one, uh, recognizing that there's less funding out there and it's much more competitive, I, I found that a number of funders are much more receptive to sort of partnerships or collaborations where um, it, you know it's clearly not they'll see through where a collaboration is done just to enhance the value of the application, but if in the course of planning a, a, an activity, 
you link you know sustainability or healthy eating with arts and with education in a school program and you've got three organizations that together are seeking funding for that initiative you will be more successful uh, or more likely to be successful uh, in securing funding than if you were to kind of go it alone because um, you know that's one bit of feedback that I've, I've received from uh, some of the funders. Okay. Well, let's say last chance here. Anybody have anything else to throw out there or want to make another comment? I think we're probably at a pretty natural stopping point here. This has been a really great conversation. Uh, I just want to close by going around and asking you all one more question. As you may have read in the introductions, you know, this is an experiment for us. We're happy to try to help people keep in touch if you feel like it's a group you want to stay in touch with or want to have more conversations. Um, we can't commit to a whole lot in terms of time or organization to the Orton Family Foundation end, but we're happy to try to help facilitate if we can. So, let me just throw that out there to you. What would be valuable to you all going forward? Was this just a, a good conversation by itself and we end it and say thanks? Or do folks want to stay in touch in some way? If you do want to stay in touch, what would help you? I think that, that would, I think that would be beneficial. It's, you know, really it's just encouraging because it's so easy to be discouraged about the whole thing. So what would be most valuable to you, Dee, going forward? Um, let me throw out a couple of possibilities. You know, would you just want to be in touch with folks over email? Is it more valuable to get back on the phone in a couple months or something else? Um, I think the phone is better because I get so many emails. I'm really, you know, it takes me forever to get through all of my emails and then respond. And, you know, and maybe that would be beneficial too, though I don't know, just to check back in periodically. But One thing that we did in Montana, um, we formed a Google group that whenever, and this was working within our our community foundation, and we have just a community foundation Google group, and then if we, any of us have a question or anything, we can just send it out that way, and then it goes to that whole group. And I don't know if it would be good to have a group that we know that, you know, when we start doing some of these things and the roadblocks come up, we can just send a question out at any time. What do others think? Andrew, Tony, I think Megan's probably not on the line again. Uh, this is a similar enough thinking group that it would be valuable for me to c continue participating. I'm about, I think I am maxed out on the number of LinkedIn groups I can belong to. Um, and so they, uh, the new ones are off limits to me, but this has all the cachet of staying uh, in touch with some great discussions and perhaps even contributing some of the warped thoughts that I have. But, um, Beyond the warp thoughts, maybe maybe we are acting as resources to one another, and uh, you don't have to 
uh, reinvent the wheel when other people are working uh, uh, working away on these things and have a track record. Uh, just the collective expertise is uh, is rather amazing when you really get that down to it. Absolutely. So, Tony, what would be your preferred way of staying in touch? We hear LinkedIn is out. Does that mean you want Facebook or Google Group or Google Group? Google, Google Group works for me. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I, I I would I would uh, second or third that motion. Um, and from my perspective, I think where I one benefit from it to the extent that I can contribute is particularly for each and each of us here, um, sort of what we've been preaching. When something works, or it's 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 like taking. Hey, you know, remember back in March I was talking about the struggles we were having engaging the community. We did this, we did this, and it seems to have taken hold and it's developing. I think we could all sort of benefit from. Hearing a little bit about those best practices, or you know, I was successful in you know submitting an application to the National Endowment of Arts for the Artworks Initiative or the Our Town Initiative, and here's what we did, and you know, so it could be helpful for the others as they you know prepare for future funding requests. So I, I think the Google Group would be a, a good resource, and then perhaps um, I don't know. Four or, five, uh, four to six months from now, we could do a call again and just have a chance to chat with each other at that point. Great. Okay, that sounds uh, fantastic. Excuse me, I can't even talk at the end of the day. <laughs> um, I will let you know there were probably another five or six people who really wanted to participate today and had a variety of things come out, so I think they'd be really in, interested in jumping on there as well. I think they're going to listen in on today's call and hear what you all talked about um, and would probably love to participate going forward. So this sounds pretty manageable to me. We can certainly set up a Google group for you all and try to help make that happen. And I can definitely tell you we're happy to get you all back on the line in four to six months, something like that, if you want to do it again. And I can work with you to find the time that works for everybody. Um, so why don't we go ahead and do that? And I'll just throw it to all of you. Uh, the only hesitation I have with Google Groups is that we've seen a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I want to do that, and then no one ever participates. So we'll warn you, it's going to be really quiet unless you're in there consciously making it not quiet and throwing stuff out. So I will certainly try to throw some prompts out there and get conversation going, but we'll put that back on all of you to make it happen as well. Um, so with that, I think we can close it for today. I want to thank you all for participating and, again, joining us in this little experiment. It's been great to hear from you all. You're doing such exciting stuff. Um, it's really valuable to hear about your challenges and, honestly, what you're all struggling with, as well as the successes. But I think there's so much potential to keep this group growing and sharing successes. Um, anyone have any last thoughts? Good stuff. Thank you for putting it together. Of course. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right. Well, thanks for joining. Have a great weekend, everybody. And I'll be emailing back out probably early next week so that you have the notes and know about the next steps. Great. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. It was very beneficial. Good.